Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the wonderful Kelly Coffey. Say hello. Hello, Rafael. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I like to always start the show to kind of break the ice for the audience. So what are you doing this weekend? This weekend, I am... Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't prepared for this question. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. I'm doing my best to keep my children alive and uninjured, which is basically my 24-hour-a-day job. Um, I I get in my best workouts on the weekends, so I'll be working out Saturday morning and Sunday morning. And then Saturday night, I am going out to dinner with a very good friend of mine who I love and miss very much. Awesome. Are, you, yeah. are your kids like daredevils or something? <laughs> um. One of them is. One of them is a lot more sort of even keel, but my four-year-old would do, I mean, just if, if it's a high surface, she wants to jump off of it. If it's a, if it's a sharp thing, she wants to hold it and, you know, <laughs> wave it in people's faces. Like, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so let's start off with telling the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? <clears throat> well... Uh, my name is Kelly Coffey, and that's spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y for anyone who wants to look me up. Um, I'm an ACSM certified personal trainer. I got certified in 2007. And in 2012, 2013, 2013, I started blogging. No, 2014. Oh, my God, it's all blending together. <laughs> Once you start having children and you run your own business, like... Good luck figuring out what day it is, what time it is, which way you're supposed to put your pants on. Um, Maybe it was 2014. My God, it's so recent. I started blogging about my experiences with weight loss and addiction and uh, self-image. And my pieces got a lot of traction. And I was uh, being approached to train people online, which I had no capacity to do. Oh my goodness! Do nice. you hear? Yes, that's Somebody awesome. In the background. Oh my goodness! This is when I get really embarrassed that I didn't turn off my ringer on my phone for my podcast interview. That's <gasps> hilarious. Okay. So, uh, so I developed uh, an online course that I have since been massaging to perfection. <laughs> for three years. And uh, I sort of split my professional time now between training people one-on-one in my studio, which is in my home, and supporting women all over the planet through my online course called The Pleasure Principles. Awesome. Um, So when I looked you up, you had quite the interesting story of your weight loss. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. Um, I had always been... uh, overweight from my earliest memories anyway, and started the diet and regain process much younger than most people do. Probably uh, right around age five or six, I started going to Weight Watchers for the first time with my mother and instantly took to the the diet culture, the lure of once I am a certain weight, I will be happy and everything will be all all settled and fabulous. And, uh, and I did that and dieted my way up to over 300 pounds by the time I was 18. Wow. And yeah, um, it was a bummer. (laughs) 
Um, and my mom also struggled and I, I was, you know, witness to her struggle since I was a kid, lose, gain, lose, gain, lose, gain. And each time she gained, she gained more than she had lost. And, um, when I was 22, 21, 22, she decided to have weight loss surgery, which I was vehemently against, but I sort of came around to being open to possibly supporting her and she had a great result, a great initial result, as you know, most everyone does. And I decided instead of living my life the way she had, with the loss, gain, loss, gain, always getting bigger, that I would nip it in the bud in my early to mid-20s and, um, and use weight loss surgery as my means to do that. I lost... Uh, 170 pounds in less than a year. Jeez. And it was, as you can imagine, I'm sure, mind-bendingly crazy and awesome for a time, right? But all things become normal after a time. And because I hadn't ever dealt with any of the internal processes that were leading me to eat as much as I did. And, you know, I, I, I didn't need to act out around food. I also acted out around drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things. I'm an equal opportunity addict is how I like to think of myself. Um, because I hadn't dealt with any of that stuff. I had really just temporarily restricted the size of my stomach. It should surprise no one that I, like most people, started to gain my weight back again. And that was having gone to that extreme, having paid the money that I paid, even though insurance covered most of it, I still had to pay for like anesthesia. And at 23, that was a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> having put my life on the line, having literally signed a waiver that said there is a one to 2% chance that you will die as a result of this surgery. Do you still want to have this surgery? And I put my signature on that piece of paper, having gone to that extreme and to then be in a place where I was gaining my weight back was the most, um, devastating bottom that I could imagine ever hitting and that I hope to God I ever have to hit. Um, and it was from that place that I began to actually turn my life around and turn how I made decisions completely around. And um, beginning then, I have, I have gone through quite the process and in, in, in part, you know, I've, I've, I've lost the weight that I gained back and I've maintained a healthy, happy, comfortable weight for over 10 years. Um, my other addictions are dormant, let's say, because you can't ever cure it, but I don't act out around all the things that I used to. And I have basically the most extraordinary life I could imagine. I mean, it could be better. Someone could be feeding me grapes and like <laughs> fanning me with palm fronds and there could be naked 18 and 19 year, old, 19 year olds traipsing around all the time. But, you know, for for what it is, for like, you know, woman in her 30s with two kids in Massachusetts, I'm pretty much fucking knocking it out of the park. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of ways where I want to go from here. First one is, um, so age of five, you went to Weight Watchers. Was that your mom's idea or was that you wanting to lose weight and you were asking your mom for something? No, it was my mom's idea. 
you know, she, she obviously never, ever, ever meant me any harm ever. Um, she wanted to, and I can see now I have a lot of empathy for my mother now that I have my own kids. Um, she wanted to fix the problem for me young so that I wouldn't have it so that I wouldn't go down the same path that she had. And I think it's important to say that there is no way to know what impact certain decisions are going to have on a child. Like you can, it's, it's an odds game, but like she, she may well have thought, Oh, Kelly's a little chubby and she's five. So I'm going to bring her Weight Watchers and she's going to internalize how to, you know, eat healthy, moderate portions of, of all healthy foods and occasionally have a dessert and, you know, and then she won't have this issue that I have around food. I think that that's a reasonable thought for her to have thunk, even though that's not how it panned out. Yeah. I like my biggest fears when I have kids is like, I hope to God I don't screw them up somehow. (laughs) It's like, you could do one thing and not even think about it, and then it's going to, like, scar them for the rest of your life almost, right? Yeah. But, you know, everybody everybody has their own stuff that they need to deal with. Yeah. So um, don't, don't let that stop you. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I remember um, at my old gym, I picked up the phone, and this mom called because she wanted to get training for her son. And I'll, like, never forget what she said on the phone. She's like, yeah, my son's really fat, and he needs to lose weight. I want to sign him up three days a week. When can he start? I was like, holy crap. Like, if you're talking like this, I can only imagine how you talk to your son. And then when he started, like, he did not want to be there. He was, like, 11, 12 years old. And he was just miserable. Like, he just, like, went through the motions. He was always in a bad mood. And I'm like, man, this is not the way to do it. Yeah. It's, I mean, at a certain at a certain point, it's no longer the parents. Um, the parent no longer has the ability to alter the trajectory of the child's health, you know. And I think that that happens a lot younger than we'd like to imagine. And at a certain point, it becomes sort of an act of faith or a practice of faith. Like, I think that I've done as well as I could to equip this child with a reasonable sense of self and the ability to pull him or herself up by their bootstraps. So I'm just going to, like, back up a little bit now and see what they do, which is really hard to do. Yeah, because, like, for me personally, like, I used to be overweight, too, and I was, like, thinking back in my childhood, like, what kind of caused my weight gain, and all it was really is just we had crap in the house, like, all the time, so I would just be like, oh, it's lunchtime, I'll go eat the whole bag of chips, and then I'm going to have a two-liter Coke with it, because I thought that's that was okay, and I was like, you know, I don't, every situation's different, but I don't know, if I was a parent, I was just like, there shouldn't be any kind of crap like that in the house, that that's just me though. I don't, I don't know. Well, and then, but you of course have known people who grew up in the exact same kind of household that never gained weight, right? Yeah. It's all an odds game. Like you really don't know. And then there are kids, you know, there are many women that I work with who grew up in homes where there was no such thing. There was no junk food. There was no baked goods. There was no processed anything. There was nothing in a bag or a box in their whole kitchen ever. And so they think that that led to the, that inspired them to fetishize those kinds of foods and seek them out to their own detriment, every opportunity that they got. So 
there's no way to know. There's really no way to know. Yeah. <clears throat> what I, impact? Yeah. I have this conversation with um, the moms that I trained that, that when they their kids were in teenage years and. They asked me, like, when I was in high school, did I go to parties and all that kind of stuff? And I was like, of course I did. But I had parents, like, immigrant parents, where they're like, don't do drugs. Don't do any alcohol or anything like that. And because they were saying that and, like, try to guard me so much, I wanted to do it more. Sure. Whereas, like, my friends who their parents were like, yeah, I know my kid's going to drink. I don't care. As long as they call me to pick them up, I'm fine with it. And those are the kids who would come in and be like, I'll have two beers and that's it. Right. <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, right. Where was I going to go with this? Um, so what's your opinion on people getting surgery to lose weight? Like, do you think it's a, a, a way to cheat your way into weight loss and keeping it off? Like kind of, well, how do you feel about it now going through it? I absolutely do not think that it is a way of cheating. Um. <clears throat> I get asked this question a lot. Okay. And um, I believe I believe very strongly that for some people, weight loss surgery is a tremendous and necessary tool if they're ever going to lose a profound amount of weight and have a snowball's chance in hell of keeping it off. Um, and I... And I, I, I am also not sure that anyone can know if they are that person or not before they have the surgery. <laughs> awesome. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Um, I say that because I, you know, everyone, everyone, if all you knew about me was that this is how I look now, you know, I'm a size six, size eight, something I'm fit. I'm, I'm cute. And, 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 that I've been this size for 10 plus years and I had weight loss surgery. If those were the only two things that you knew about me, you would assume that weight loss surgery was a great idea and that I was, you know, cut out for it and that it had been this wonderful solution for me. But the truth of the matter is if I had been honest with the doctors and the shrinks, because you go through psychological screening before they approve you, If I had been honest with those people, I never would have been permitted to have the surgery ever because I had a problem with drugs and I had a problem with alcohol and I, um, I was just not, I was just not emotionally and and psychologically fit by their standards to have the surgery. So, and yet at this remove now, I wouldn't change anything about my story. I wouldn't change the fact that I had the surgery. But it's also very clear to me that the surgery was not the thing that solved the problem, because the problem was never how much I ate. The problem was how I made decisions in the moment and how I coped with stress and how I felt about myself and whether or not I was worth making an effort for. You know, that's like some heady stuff. Um So people often email me through my blog or comment or whatever and ask, you know, should I have the surgery? And I I throw up my hands and I'm like, I I have no idea. I'm sorry that I can't tell you. Um, But I, I do not think that it is a cheat. Absolutely not. Because if you don't change how you make decisions and you don't figure out how to cope with stress in a way that does not involve overeating or binge eating, you will gain your weight back. And then 
And then you'll hit the bottom that I hit that horrible, horrible, I can't believe I've gone to this extreme and here I am still gaining my weight back. Um, so no, I don't think it's a cheat. Okay. Yeah. Cause I found a girl on Instagram that kind of shared her weight loss story and it was kind of similar to yours where she got gastric bypass surgery, uh-huh. lost a bunch of weight, but now like when I kind of checked in on her after a couple months after she got the surgery, like all she posts is now that she's in the gym eating clean foods. And I'm like, this is almost like a success story. Like, you know, she went down the route of surgery, but it kind of pushed her in the right direction to stay healthy and keep the weight off. So I found that kind of interesting. I love that. Yeah. I love that. There are certainly people who do that. And for those people, obviously surgery was a great idea. Yeah. Um, I think you'd be a good person to ask this because I've asked this to a couple people on my podcast, but um, I've had two clients where they decide to get, you know, plastic surgery done or and like a tummy tuck done to get their bodies back to where they had it before they had kids. And I've always kind of like wondered about this where like I had one client that um, got some plastic surgery done and she was like really excited to get it done. She had she had, I think, five kids before she decided to do this. And she just told me, she's like, I just want to feel better about myself and look as close as possible to where it was before kids. And she was, and then when she got the surgery, she was like so happy. And I was like, okay, well, this kind of worked out well. And then my other client, she went in for a tummy tuck and she was kind of like, she, in my opinion, she looked fine. Like she was perfect like she's like a hot mom right but I but I couldn't like tell her that I'm like come on you're hot you don't need surgery but she's like one of those people you didn't tell her that I told her she was perfect the way she was and she doesn't need to like go down that route Mm. and then she was like super happy that I said that but I also think at home she doesn't have the greatest support system and um she's kind of those women that always like oh I need to lose like another five pounds and I'm like no you don't you're actually you're fine right but um yeah she went through it and like now she's dealing with a lot of like little back pain some hip stuff and she's still like she's still telling me like through email that she still needs to lose another 10 pounds and I'm like oh "Oh, come on right yeah so for do you think like moms like what's your opinion if you know you have three four kids and you get to a point where you're like oh I just I want to look the way I did before do you think that's a good route to go down to or um so I should mention that I had a tummy tuck okay I had abdominoplasty Mm -hmm. tummy tuck sounds so minor it sounds like you're going in to get your hair trimmed (laughs) and that is not what the experience is let me tell you oh my god it is major, major, major surgery. It fucking hurts, and it hurts a lot, and it knocks you off your routine for months. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 more often than not, when I talk to people about plastic surgery, we sort of have this idea in our head that it's like somehow less significant than, say, open-heart surgery or whatever, but it's really not. The physical experience of it is just as extreme. Um, so, uh, so I did that. I did that long before I had children. I did that because of all the weight that I had lost. And, um, it's hard to, I, I, it's so unique to the person. Um, 
I can't say if I think it's a good idea or not. It depends. It depends on so many factors. I know a lot of moms whose, you know, bellies have been stretched to infinity and beyond by, you know, multiple children and they throw on a bikini and they think they sexy and they rock it out and they look great and they post pictures of themselves on Instagram and you just want to gobble them up because they're so cute and yeah, they're not quote unquote perfect, but they're rocking it and they're hot and they're healthy and they're smiling. And so they're beautiful. And then there are women who see something that we don't see. Like, and it sounds like that's your second client there who like, you know, stare at themselves in the mirror and, and home in on imperfections that don't even actually exist, that are just figments of their imagination. But then if they go under the knife, maybe they'll feel better, you know, and maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just continue to find flaw and fault. It really depends on, um, it really depends on really deep notions of self-image and self-worth. And more than anything, I think how we feel about how we look depends on how we're treating ourselves in the day-to-day, whether or not we're meeting our body's most basic needs. Because if you're not, then it doesn't really matter how good you look. You're always going to feel a little off, and it's a lot easier to find flaw and fault with your physical body when you feel exhausted and dehydrated and, you know, poorly nourished and lazy. So, Okay. Hope that feels like an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the tummy tuck, what exactly do they do? Like, is it comparable for pain as like a C-section or is it worse? <laughs> I've never had a C-section. Okay. Um, but I imagine that a C-section is worse because they have to slice through muscle in a C-section. Um, with the abdominoplasty that I had, it was just skin. There was no muscle mm-hmm. okay. involvement. Um, what's involved, you know, they, they, they cut a giant flap of skin off of your lower stomach and then pull down and pull up on what remains and attach it with some sutures and, and pump you full of opiates and hope everything goes well. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It feels great. (laughs) Jeez. Um, where was I going to go with this? Um, blanking. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, do you coach any of your clients about like body image or anything like that? Um, I, I, I actually don't do that directly because my practice, my pleasure principles practice is prefaced on the idea that, um, what the body does, the mind will, follow. The mind will catch up. So if we behave, if we make choices as though we are someone who genuinely cares for and about our bodies, eventually that becomes true in our minds and in our hearts. So, and and I think that coaching people around body image, it's just, you know, 
it, the, the notion never appealed to me. Like look in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful. I love me. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me like that. That never worked for me. It never felt sincere and it never budged the needle for very long on how I felt about myself. However, when I am going through the motions of someone who cares deeply and genuinely for myself, when I become conscious of how I'm thinking about myself, I realize that, oh, look, I'm all right. I'm all right. And this is all right. And look at me. I look all right. This is good. So that's what I do. I coach around sustainable behavior change. And uh, when people use the tools that I teach, the mind catches up. Okay. Yeah, because I find a lot of like women, but men probably do this too, but not as much, but they'll like, yeah, look in the mirror and they'll start like listing every negative thing they can about their body. Mm, and then they such s- a sexy game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they like go off during their day with all that like negative thought about their body. And I'm like, I've always tried to figure out how can you get around that? And, and because sometimes it almost gets addictive, just like how some people weigh themselves multiple times at a day and you're just like, just stop, stop. stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why I've been like asking a bunch of people on this podcast, like, what do you do to help those people where it's like, you know, you, you can tell them things, but it doesn't really kind of transfer through their brains and they just continue doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So I don't know, like if I could figure out how to tap into someone's brain and just tell them to stop doing the bad things, I'd be a millionaire. (laughs) You sure would. Yeah. You sure would. It's about providing a structure and the tools that people need to make decisions in a, from a more caring place and then giving them whatever kind of support they need to continue to practice doing that for as long as humanly possible. Because these, the ways that we treat ourselves, the ways that we behave around food, the decisions that we make, those are old scripts that got laid down long before we had any idea what the hell was going on for most of us. And so to imagine that it would take a brief period of time to do a 180 degree turn and behave differently around food and think differently about how we feel and how we look and what we're worth is dumb. We need time. We need time. We need support and we need the right tools. And, uh, and that's what I try to provide for all of my clients. See, I try to do the same thing, but I find so many clients and people just want like that instant, like in seven days, I want to lose 10 pounds and it should be like that. Right. Of course. And I'm like, our world today doesn't really help our industry where it's like, you can order something on Amazon and in 24 hours, it's at your doorstep and they're like, Oh, weight loss should be the same thing. And I'm like, no, it'll, it'll take some time. (laughs) Like, like you said, like, you got to break a bunch of habits. You got to, it doesn't happen. Like you can just do a 180 degree turn and it's just going to happen for you. Like you, we have to no, go through. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, where was I going to go with this? With people that like emotional eat and binge eat, like how do you help them kind of overcome that? Like, or can you even overcome that? <clears throat> I certainly do help. Um, I mainly work with women at this point. I certainly do help women overcome that. It is, um, and, and, and for some, the tools that I provide 
in my course are sufficient. For many, it's just sort of another tool in their toolkit that they use in tandem with therapy um, and whatever other things that they feel like they need to do to get a handle on those behaviors. Um, my experience has been that women who have had a lot of therapy already, especially specifically around eating disorders, who then find and use the tools that I teach have a lot more success than women who begin it all together at the same time. There's something about, there's something about, you know, 10 plus years of therapy in your back pocket that makes you sort of ready to heal once the right set of like tools and guidelines show up, which is often the experience that people have with me. Hmm. Did you see like a psychologist or was it just like a counselor? Like if someone wanted to go see somebody for, you know, eating disorders, who should they kind of go to? Um, well, I live in a I live in a place that you, you sort of can't. There's there's a there's a shrink that specializes in anything that might ail you, and there is a whole uh, practice here called Walden Behavioral Care that specializes in eating disorder therapy. Um, I I would look for a practice or a practitioner who listed that as one of their top three specialties or priorities. And that's, you know, easily enough turned up by a Google search. Okay. Um, and, and, and if nothing, if no one local reveals themselves with a Google search, certainly reaching out to anyone and asking them who they know who's close by would be the way to go. Yeah, because I find, like, the topic of, like, emotional eating and binge eating and just eating disorders in general coming up a lot in our industry. And it's just, like you know, a coach can say like, yeah, I've been through it. I'm now coaching other people, but have you ever seen like bad advice given out into the world by coaches at all? Um, I wouldn't call it bad, uh, so much as perhaps not appropriate. Okay. Um, there is no one size fits all recovery program for people who genuinely suffer from eating disorders. And, uh, and I think that some coaches believe that there is a right answer, a right path, a right way. And I think that they block themselves off from helping a lot of people that they could help if they offered a little more space for the the person to um, be themselves and find their own path to recovery. Okay. Yeah, I guess um, like, I may have, like, back in when I was overweight, emotional eight, but I don't know how I, like, got over it or anything like that. And actually, for the first time in my career, I had a client pull me aside go into a private room and she like started bawling and I'm like, okay, what's wrong? And she's like, 
I haven't told you this before, but when I get really stressed out, like I emotionally eat to a point where I get so stuffed and I feel so uncomfortable and I want to throw up. And I was like, holy shit, this is like the first time this is happening to me. And I'm like, I better not screw this up. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the first thing I just told her, I'm like, it's a good thing that you told me because I'm pretty sure most people just don't go out in the world like, hey, emotional ate yesterday and I feel like shit. Right. Like, <laughs> so I just like I just try to build as much support and I'm like if you need to go see somebody like I can probably find someone good for you but by like no means I am not like a professional to help you through this mm -hmm. and like and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like a good majority of clients that you work with that probably emotionally eat and I just hope to see like coaches out there don't screw that up because like there's a lot of people that are like oh I can do anything like I'm this this and this you're fine. You just stick with me. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it's, it's just as important for us as health professionals who are working in service to the general population to, to accept and honor our limitations as it is for us to bring our strengths and teach what we know. Because, um, if we, if we just, if we try to be the person who never has to say no or never has to say, I don't know, then we're doing people a tremendous disservice because there is someone that knows. There is always someone that knows and who can help. But if they're getting, quote unquote, helped by you or by me and we're not the best at that particular area, then they're not going to they're not going to see the results that they want. They're not going to make the progress that they want to make. There is no shame in saying, you know, I can, I can give you this. I can teach you this. I, I cannot help you with that. Or that is not my strength. And I really want to see you get all the support that you deserve around that. So we're going to figure out, we're going to find somebody. I'm going to help you find somebody that's going to help you deal with this. Um, and, and always, you know, just being really grateful that they would be willing to open up to you about that is always a good thing. You know, always yeah. respond positively to anyone being vulnerable because it's from that place of vulnerability that huge changes can happen. So that was a really great way that you responded. I like that. Yeah, I was like, holy crap, I'm, I really <laughs> should say something great. <laughs> it's like, I, like in Thank my... you for telling me is something great. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for, yeah. You did say something great. It was like that moment. Like, do you watch Friends at all? Ah, no. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a couple of episodes, but... There was like one episode where Ross was like... He, he was on the couch with his cousin, but it was like a distant cousin. And he was like trying to like... He was talking in his head and you could hear what he was saying. And he's like, I should totally make a move on her. She's totally into me, right? And then he like does it. And then he's like oh my God, what did I just do? Say something. And it's like still quiet. He's like, just say anything. Anything that comes out would be a good thing to say. And he's like, I haven't had sex in a really long time. He's like, you shouldn't have said nothing. Oh my God. And that's what I was like in my head. I'm like, I really hope I don't screw it up like he did. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I haven't had sex in a really long time. Yeah. Cause. <laughs> um, okay, let's go. Let's get back on track here. Um, <laughs> When you coach nutrition to clients, um, what's kind of your method or like principles? Like, do you follow habits? Do you do the macros thing? Do you give like people meal plans? Like what's your kind of take on that? 
I do not. I do not. Um, my, uh, the extent of the nutrition work that I do with my clients is around, um, is around honestly assessing whether they happen to fall in the moderation camp or the abstinence camp. And, and, uh, what I mean by that is I believe that some people find their happy, healthy stride and weights that they're comfortable with by means of eating moderate portions of whole healthy foods and the occasional splurge or whatever. Uh, I also believe that a lot of people, a lot more perhaps than they are aware of, <laughs> uh, are would are are better as abstainers um, cannot have a moderate portion of certain foods without that triggering a craving that becomes detrimental to the experience of the rest of their lives. Whether or not they give into that craving, it takes them out of the moment that they're in and becomes this huge life leveling distraction. <clears throat> so, I try to. Um, I try to provide sort of a framework for people to figure out where they fall. And it's not black and white. For many people, it's not black and white. Some people uh, are, you know, mostly moderators, but with this one specific thing, abstinence makes the most sense or the, or vice versa. I, I try to provide a framework for them to figure out where they fall sort of on that spectrum. And then, um, and then, provide tools to help them feel confident in that decision so that they feel good about making choices around food that are in line with whichever they happen to be. And um, I think that the, I feel like that's really important because there is so much information out there. There are so many diets. There's so many suggestions. There's so many nutritionists and registered dietitians, and everybody's got a different little spin and one of the personality traits of the women that I work with specifically is this ability to question and second guess every decision that they make based on new information coming in. And whenever we feel insecure about a commitment that we've made, we're open to that commitment blowing up like a tank in that movie Fury. Did you ever see that movie? That was a really yeah, good movie. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I, I love that movie. <laughs> so, so my job when I work with them is helping them to figure out what's true for them around food, what they need to get to a healthy weight, to feel the best that they can in their bodies, and then just fucking pumping them full of confidence so that no matter what new information comes in from the outside, they know that they have made the right decision based on their own data and their own experiences to treat themselves well, make good decisions around food. And then I just bolster and bolster and bolster them, and that tends to be... Uh, really helpful and really effective. Okay. Now you said like the occasional splitters, like would you consider that like a cheat day or a cheat meal type of thing? That's what other people consider it. Yeah. Cause like <laughs> I, I've done that for like ever. And I think I have like a pretty good self-control, but I've had in the past where, you know, I tell people, you know, say if you're eating five meals per day, that's 35 meals in the week. And if you had, three splurges or treat meals, you're still eating 80% healthier. So, yeah. 
And they're like, oh, that makes I a lot of sense. Mix. Yeah. And then yeah. I had a couple clients where they're uh, like, they would tell me what they had on their cheat meal. And it was like a full on binge. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you shouldn't be eating that much. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I've been kind of like contemplating, like, should I keep telling people to do that? Or is it like, if you have a craving, have something small. And then the cat kind of carries you over to the next day. Like mm-hmm. it's really tough. Like, like you said, it's not like a blanket statement, like black and white, here's what you got to do. And that's what, that's going to work for you. And I almost have to like figure out people's like behaviors around food and then kind of tailor how to approach it. Cause there's some people that, you know, they need to have like a piece of chocolate with dinner every single night. And then with that method, they're not going to go out and binge at a restaurant because they're kind of satisfied so it's like you said, there's so much information out there and there's always so many different ways. So I don't know. I try to just tailor to people's needs and hope for the best, essentially. That's a really tall order. Yeah. That's a really big responsibility, um, which is part of why I don't coach on the specifics of nutrition at all. Because, I mean, first of all, I work with too many people. Um mm-hmm to be able to do that. I have, um, you know, I have hundreds of active clients at a time and to like come up with meal plans for them would just be like crippling. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tall order to know what to advise because you can't know the inner workings of their head, right? You can't know if by telling them, to have that cheat or two or three in a week is going to be just the thing they need and just the little boost they need and, you know, will satisfy the cravings and get them over the humps. Or if that meal will end up being sort of the first step in a catastrophic downward spiral that will result in them undoing all of the progress that they have made with you. Yeah. The only person who can know is them. Which is why I, which is why I hold my clients responsible to their own truth, and all I do is make them, help them feel confident that their truth is good enough information to base decisions on. Because I don't know, I don't know what's going on in there. I never know what's going on in their heads, and so to give advice can be a slippery and dangerous slope. Oh, definitely. Like another one I find that's tough. Like when people go out to eat to like a restaurant, for some Mm. reason they have it in their head that, Oh, this doesn't happen often. So I'm going to eat as much as possible. Have like a ball of (laughs) wine. Even though it happens like twice a week. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's strange because you like go into this new environment and like people just give you what you need and you're like, yeah, I'll have dessert with this. Yeah, yeah, I'll have another drink. And then you're like, holy crap, I'm like probably 3,000 calories deep right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's so strange that yeah. people think that way. It's like, oh, if I'm at a restaurant, this doesn't happen often. I can have anything and nothing is going to happen to me. Right? Like, even like when you go to like social events and there's like a birthday party, you're like, I don't need one slice of cake. I need three. Hey. Okay. <laughs> right? Like I, I used to do that all the time. I'm like, yeah, birthday cake, here we go. <laughs> What's up? But um yeah, that's a tough one because I have some clients that travel a lot for work and all they do is go out to 
restaurants and I'm like, I just tell them like, you don't have to eat like your whole plate of food. Like you can just cut it in half and then save it for your next meal. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and the big difference is in, in Canada, we have smaller portions. Like if you ordered like say fish tacos, you'd get mm -hmm. like two of them. And then I remember mm -hmm. I was in Seattle for a conference and I went to the cheesecake factory and I got fish tacos. They gave me five. I was like, holy shit, this is a lot Damn. of food. Yeah. I was like, this is a lot of food. Right. <laughs> and when my clients go out, they probably don't even think about it. It's a lot of food. They're just going to eat the whole thing. And then they wonder why they're not losing weight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, tough industry we're in to help people lose weight. It is. Yeah. It is. It's the it's the it's the hardest job that there is. I mean, well, that's not really true. A hospice nurse can be much harder. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like on the spectrum of challenging professions to drop into, this is definitely one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um a question I like asking people now is um what have you changed your mind about in like our industry in the last couple of years? Um, for a long time, I, uh, for a long time, I felt very much outside of the loop. I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was talking about things that other people weren't talking about, which is often true, but not entirely. You know, I just, I just, I didn't feel like a part of the fitness community at all. And, uh, in the last year, I have come to feel very much a part of this community and very much like a voice that belongs uh, in the conversation. And it's a really, it's a really wonderful shift, you know, cause I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses and I respect that everybody has brings their strengths and, they're very specific talents and, uh, and as a whole, you know, the fitness, the, the fitness industry, not the diet industry, but the genuine fitness industry is amazing. And I'm, I'm really, I consider myself incredibly lucky to be a part of the community. Okay. Yeah. Now, another one I've been asking a lot of people is, um, do you think as an industry we're failing the general public because the like obesity rate is still going up. People are still not losing weight. Do you think we're doing enough to reach everybody and help them? I think that a more multi-layered approach is called for. I think that we have demonstrated quite clearly that uh, nutrition guidelines and exercise prescription are insufficient. And that is part of what I'm trying to bring to the table is, okay, you know, you've been given terrific nutritional advice. You've been prescribed fantastic, effective strength building, cardiovascular supporting exercise programs, and you are still not seeing the results that you want. Or if you do, you immediately undo all the progress that you made and end up worse off than when you started. Obviously, there's something else going on. I can help you with that. Um, and, and, you know, we, the fitness industry needs to become uh, 
and I think it is becoming more open to talking about how emotions play into decision making and how long it actually takes to change a habit because it ain't 90 days. I'll tell you what, it certainly isn't 30. <laughs> um, I think that the more open-minded we can be as an industry to uh, employing as many modalities as are necessary to help people make the progress that we want to make, the better we'll do by the people that we're trying to serve. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, you, there's so like a plethora of information. Did you just say plethora? Yeah, you like that, <laughs> dude. That must be the Canadian pronunciation. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> we say plethora. I think. Pretty sure. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, Canada has some weird, like, also spelling, like color, like color. Yeah. <laughs> I I never understood why, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, um, Coach Stevo that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that if you can become number five in the priority list of your client's life for fitness and health, you've done a great job as a coach. And I was mm-hmm. like, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of coaches kind of come across to their clients that like, you know, your health and fitness should be number one. And if you're not number one on that list, then you're just lazy. And I'm mm. like, what, what he said, it was like, it made a lot of sense. And then I was telling a couple of clients about that and they're like, I really like that. And they were saying that it almost took off the stress of like them constantly thinking about their health. Mm-hmm. And then when I kind of worked down the numbers with them, like number one, everyone's going to have a little different, but I said like, number one should just be you. Number two can be like your spouse. Number three could be your kids. Number four could be your business. And number five, fitness and health. And it mm. almost takes off the pressure of always like, oh, I should be exercising today. Oh, I forgot to pack a meal and blah, 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 blah. And it just kind of gives you more breath. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. I can uh, get behind that. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I had one question from Instagram, um, half of it you already answered, but the other half is that how do you deal with stress in a healthy way? Oh boy. How much time have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, hmm. I am, I'm often stressed out. I, I, it doesn't take very much to get my, my hairs standing up on end. Um, and how I react and respond depends on every factor imaginable. Where am I standing? What am I wearing? What time of day is it? You know, what have I already done? What needs to get done? You know, how, where are my children? Like I try my practice is about making the most caring choice whenever there is a choice to be made. And the only absolute is that care never involves harm, ever. So I don't know what I will do, but I'm very clear on what I won't do. I will not take something into my body that is going to harm me or leave me feeling depressed or uncomfortable. I am not going to take something into my body that is going to distract me from the rest of my life for the rest of my day because I will want more. Um, 
I am not going to go for the quick fix, the cheap thrill, because I've spent enough time in pain, in the pain that results from taking the edge off with shitty food, with cigarettes, with alcohol. Like, I am intimately familiar with that level of discomfort, and I have no interest in wasting another second of my life on that bullshit. So although I cannot tell you how I cope with stress in the moment, because it could be any one of a million things, I'm very clear on how I do not, because I don't want to contribute to the problem. And when I make choices from a place of wanting to escape, um, that's exactly what I do, is I make it worse. All right. Yeah, like for me... It's funny, like, I could have things piling up and piling up, and I just get to a point where I'm like, screw this, I'll, like, go take a shower (laughs) and just let everything, like, keep piling up. And then, like, I always think about this, like, I think it's a little, like, meme that I've seen on the internet where there's, like, a dog sitting in his house, and his whole house is on fire, and there's a little (laughs) thought bubble. He's like, this is fine. This is fine. (laughs) I love that. I'm basically like that. That's what's happening in American politics right now, by the by. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is fine. Yeah, this is fine. It's all good. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, So last question for you. Uh, Where can people find you online? Um, If you have any projects coming up, products, anything you want to share with the audience? Uh, Well, my website is strongcoffee.com. Coffee is spelled like my last name, C-O-F-F-E-Y. And uh, I'm under Strong Coffee Personal Training on Facebook. So anyone that would like to follow, please do. And uh, if anyone is interested in going to my free online workshop, which is called Why We Sabotage Ourselves with Food and What We Can Do About It, you can find the schedule at bit.ly. It's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash right with food. R-I-G-H-T. Not not penmanship with food, but <laughs> right as in well with yeah, food. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. So I just want to thank you for all your time. This was amazing. Thanks, Rafal. I appreciate it. Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 37 with Kelly Coffee. And again, I'm going to ask you guys to please share this podcast with anybody you know. Go on Facebook and do a blast and set the link and go on Instagram and say how awesome this podcast is or something like that just to help me spread the message and help as many people as possible. And I'll be forever grateful for all your guys' help. And until next time, you guys. 